Chapter Thirty One of Ruth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Ruth by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell. Chapter Thirty One. An Accident to the Dover Coach. While Mr. Benson lay awake for fear of oversleeping himself, and so being late at Mr. Farquhar's, it was somewhere about six o'clock, dark as an October morning is at that time, Sally came to his door and knocked. She was always an early riser, and if she had not been gone to bed long before Mr. Bradshaw's visit last night, Mr. Benson might safely have trusted to her calling him. "'Here's a woman down below, as must see you directly. "'She'll be upstairs after me if you're not down quick.' "'Is it anyone from Clark's?' "'No, no, not it, master,' said she through the keyhole. "'I reckon it's Mrs. Bradshaw, for all she's muffled up.' "'He needed no other word. "'When he went down, Mrs. Bradshaw sat in his easy-chair, "'swaying her body to and fro,' and crying without restraint. Mr. Benson came up to her before she was aware that he was there. "'Oh, sir,' said she, getting up and taking hold of both his hands, "'you won't be so cruel, will you? I have got some money somewhere. Some money my father settled on me, sir. I don't know how much, but I think it's more than two thousand pounds. And you shall have it all. I can't give it you now.' I'll make a will, sir. Only be merciful to poor Dick. Don't go and prosecute him, sir. My dear Mrs. Bradshaw, don't you agitate yourself in this way. I never meant to prosecute him. But Mr. Bradshaw says that you must. I shall not. Indeed, I have told Mr. Bradshaw so. Has he been here? Oh, is not he cruel? I don't care. I have been a good wife till now, I know I have. I have done all he bid me, ever since we were married. But now I will speak my mind, and say to everybody how cruel he is, how hard to his own flesh and blood. If he puts poor Dick in prison, I will go too. If I'm to choose between my husband and my son, I choose my son, for he will have no friends unless I am with him. Mr. Bradshaw will think better of it. You will see that, when his first anger and disappointment are over, he will not be hard or cruel. You don't know Mr. Bradshaw, said she mournfully, if you think he'll change. I might beg and beg. I have done many a time when we had little children. I wanted to save them a whipping, but no begging ever did any good. At last I left it off. He'll not change. Perhaps not for human entreaty, Mrs. Bradshaw. Is there nothing more powerful? The tone of his voice suggested what he did not say. If you mean that God may soften his heart, replied she humbly, I'm not going to deny God's power. I have need to think of him, she continued, bursting into fresh tears for I am a very miserable woman. Only think, he cast it up against me last night, and said, if I had not spoilt Dick, this 
would never have happened. He hardly knew what he was saying last night. I will go to Mr. Farquhar's directly and see him. And you had better go home, my dear Mrs. Bradshaw. You may rely upon our doing all that we can. With some difficulty, he persuaded her not to accompany him to Mr. Farquhar's, but he had, indeed, to take her to her own door before he could convince her that, at present, she could do nothing but wait the result of the consultation of others. It was before breakfast, and Mr. Farquhar was alone, so Mr. Benson had a quiet opportunity of telling the whole story to the husband before the wife came down. Mr. Farquhar was not much surprised, though greatly distressed. The general opinion he had always entertained of Richard's character had predisposed him to fear, even before the inquiry respecting the insurance shares. But it was still a shock when it came, however much it might have been anticipated. "'What can we do?' said Mr. Benson, as Mr. Farquhar sat gloomily silent. "'That is just what I was asking myself. I think I must see Mr. Bradshaw.' and try and bring him a little out of this unmerciful frame of mind. That must be the first thing. Will you object to accompany me at once? It seems of particular consequence that we should subdue its obduracy before the affair gets wind. I will go with you willingly, but I believe I rather serve to irritate Mr. Bradshaw. He is reminded of things he has said to me formally, and which he thinks he is bound to act up to. However, I can walk with you to the door, if you'll allow me, in the street. I want to know how he is to-day, both bodily and mentally, for indeed, Mr. Farquhar, I should not have been surprised last night if he had dropped down dead, so terrible was his strain upon himself. Mr. Benson was left at the door, as he had desired, while Mr. Farquhar went in. "'Oh, Mr. Farquhar, what is the matter?' exclaimed the girls, running to him. "'Mamma sits crying in the old nursery. We believe she has been there all night. She will not tell us what it is, nor let us be with her. And Papa is locked up in his room, and won't even answer us when we speak.' though we know he is up and awake, for we heard him tramping about all night. "'Let me go up to him,' said Mr. Farquhar. "'He won't let you in. It will be of no use.' But in spite of what they said, he went up, and to their surprise, after hearing who it was, their father opened the door and admitted their brother-in-law. He remained with Mr. Bradshaw about half an hour, and then came into the dining-room, where the two girls stood huddled over the fire, regardless of the untasted breakfast behind them, and, writing a few lines, he desired them to take his note up to their mother, saying that it would comfort her a little, and that he should send Jemima in two or three hours with the baby, perhaps to remain some days with them. He had no time to tell them more. Jemima would. He left them, and rejoined Mr. Benson. Come home and breakfast with me. I am off to London in an hour or two, and must speak with you first. 
on reaching his house he ran upstairs to ask jemima to breakfast alone in her dressing-room and returned in five minutes or less now i can tell you about it said he i see my way clearly to a certain point we must prevent dick and his father meeting just now or all hope of dick's reformation is gone for ever his father is as hard as the nether millstone he has forbidden me his house forbidden you yes because i would not give up dick as utterly lost and bad and because i said i should return to london with the clerk and fairly tell dennison he's a scotchman and a man of sense and feeling the real state of the case by the way we must not say a word to the clerk otherwise he will expect an answer and make out all sorts of inferences for himself from the unsatisfactory reply he must have dennison will be upon honour will see every side of the case will know you refuse to prosecute the company of which he is manager are no losers well when i said what i thought wise of all this when i spoke as if my course were a settled and declared thing the grim old man asked me if he was to be an automaton in his own house he assured me he had no feeling for dick all the time he was shaking like an aspen in short repeating much of the same things he must have said to you last night however i defied him and the consequence is i'm forbidden the house and what is more he says he will not come to the office while i remain a partner what shall you do send jemima and the baby there's nothing like a young child for bringing people round to a healthy state of feeling and you don't know what jemima is mr benson no though you've known her from her birth if she can't comfort her mother and if the baby can't steal into her grandfather's heart why i don't know what you may do to me i shall tell jemima all and trust to her wit and wisdom to work at this end while i do my best at the other richard is abroad is not he he will be in england to-morrow i must catch him somewhere but that i can easily do the difficult point will be what to do with him what to say to him when i find him he must give up his partnership that's clear i did not tell his father so but i am resolved upon it there shall be no tampering with the honour of the firm to which i belong but what will become of him asked mr benson anxiously i do not yet know but for jemima's sake for his dour old father's sake i will not leave him adrift i will find him some occupation as clear from temptation as i can i will do all in my power and he will do much better if he has any good in him as a freer agent not cowed by his father into a want of individuality and self-respect i believe i must dismiss you mr benson said he looking at his watch i have to explain all to my wife and to go to that clerk you shall hear from me in a day or two mr benson half envied the younger man's elasticity of mind and power of acting promptly he himself felt as if he wanted to sit down in his quiet study and think over the revelations and events of the last twenty-four hours it made him dizzy 
even to follow Mr. Farquhar's plans, as he had briefly detailed them, and some solitude and consideration would be required before Mr. Benson could decide upon their justice and wisdom. He had been much shocked by the discovery of the overt act of guilt which Richard had perpetrated, low as his opinion of that young man had been for some time, and the consequence was that he felt depressed and unable to rally for the next few days. He had not even the comfort of his sister's sympathy, as he felt bound in honour not to tell her anything and she was luckily so much absorbed in some household contest with Sally that she did not notice her brother's quiet languor. Mr. Benson felt that he had no right at this time to intrude into the house which he had been once tacitly forbidden. If he went now to Mr. Bradshaw's without being asked or sent for, he thought it would seem like presuming on his knowledge of the hidden disgrace of one of the family. Yet he longed to go. He knew that Mr. Farquhar must be writing almost daily to Jemima, and he wanted to hear what he was doing. The fourth day after her husband's departure, she came, within half an hour after the post-delivery, and asked to speak to Mr. Benson alone. She was in a state of great agitation, and had evidently been crying very much. "'Oh, Mr. Benson,' said she, "'will you come with me and tell Papa this sad news about Dick? Walter has written me a letter at last to say he has found him. He could not at first, but now it seems that, the day before yesterday, he heard of an accident which had happened to the Dover coach. It was overturned, two passengers killed, and several badly hurt. Walter says we ought to be thankful, as he is, that Dick was not killed. He says it was such a relief to him on going to the place, the little inn nearest to where the coach was overturned, to find that Dick was only severely injured, not one of those who was killed. But it is a terrible shock to us all. We had no more dreadful fear to lessen the shock. Mamma is quite unfit for anything. And we none of us dare to tell papa. Jemima had hard work to keep down her sobs thus far, and now they overmastered her. How is your father? I have wanted to hear every day, asked Mr. Benson tenderly. It was careless of me not to come and tell you, but indeed I have had so much to do, and mamma would not go near him. He has said something which she seems as if she could not forgive. Because he came to meals, she would not. She has almost lived in the nursery, taking out all Dick's old playthings, and what clothes of his were left, and turning them over and crying over them. Then Mr. Bradshaw has joined you again. I was afraid, from what Mr. Farquhar said, he was going to isolate himself from you all. I wish he had, said Jemima, crying afresh. It would have been more natural than the way he has gone on. The only difference from his usual habit is that he has never gone near the office, or else he has come to meals just as usual, and talked just as usual, and even done what I never knew him do before, tried to make jokes, all in order to show us how little he cares. Does he not go out at all? Only in the garden, 
i am sure he does not care after all he must care he cannot shake off a child in this way though he thinks he can and that makes me so afraid of telling him of this accident will you come mr benson he needed no other word he went with her as she rapidly threaded her way through the by-streets when they reached the house she went in without knocking and putting her husband's letter into mr benson's hand she opened the door of her father's room and saying papa here is mr benson left them alone mr benson felt nervously incapable of knowing what to do or to say he had surprised mr bradshaw sitting idly over the fire gazing dreamily into the embers but he had started up and drawn his chair to the table on seeing his visitor and after the first necessary words of politeness were over he seemed to expect him to open the conversation mrs farquhar has asked me said mr benson plunging into the subject with a trembling heart to tell you about a letter she has received from her husband he stopped for an instant for he felt that he did not get nearer the real difficulty and yet could not tell the best way of approaching it she need not have given you that trouble i am aware of the reason of mr farquhar's absence i entirely disapprove of his conduct he is regardless of my wishes and disobedient to the commands which as my son-in-law i thought he would have felt bound to respect if there is any more agreeable subject that you can introduce i shall be glad to hear you sir neither you nor i must think of what we like to hear or to say you must hear what concerns your son i have disowned the young man who was my son replied he coldly the dover coach has been overturned said mr benson stimulated into abruptness by the icy sternness of the father but in a flash he saw what lay below that terrible assumption of indifference mr bradshaw glanced up in his face one look of agony and then went grey pale so livid that mr benson got up to ring the bell in a fright but mr bradshaw motioned to him to sit still oh i have been too sudden sir he is alive he is alive he exclaimed as he saw the ashy face working in a vain attempt to speak but the poor lips so wooden not a minute ago went working on and on as if mr benson's words did not sink down into the mind or reach the understanding mr benson went hastily for mrs farquhar oh jemima said he i have done it so badly i have been so cruel he is very ill i fear bring water brandy and he returned with all speed into the room mr bradshaw the great strong iron man lay back in his chair in a swoon a fit fetch my mother mary send for the doctor elizabeth said jemima rushing to her father she and mr benson did all in their power to restore him mrs bradshaw forgot all her vows of estrangement from the dead-like husband who might never speak to her or hear her again 
and bitterly accused herself for every angry word she had spoken against him during these last few miserable days. Before the doctor came, Mr. Bradshaw had opened his eyes and partially rallied, although he either did not or could not speak. He looked struck down into old age. His eyes were senseless in their expression, but had the dim glaze of many years of life upon them. His lower jaw fell from his upper one, giving a look of melancholy depression to the face, although the lips hid the unclosed teeth. But he answered correctly, in monosyllables, it is true, all the questions which the doctor chose to ask, and the medical man was not much impressed with the serious character of the seizure as the family, who knew all the hidden mystery behind, and had seen their father lie for the first time with the precursor aspect of death upon his face. Rest, watching, and a little medicine were what the doctor prescribed. It was so slight a prescription for what had appeared to Mr. Benson so serious an attack that he wished to follow the medical man out of the room to make further inquiries and learn the real opinion which he thought must lurk behind. But, as he was following the doctor, he, they all, were aware of the effort Mr. Bradshaw was making to rise, in order to arrest Mr. Benson's departure. He did stand up, supporting himself with one hand on the table, for his legs shook under him. Mr. Benson came back instantly to the spot where he was. For a moment it seemed as if he had not the right command of his voice, but at last he said, with a tone of humble, wistful entreaty, which was very touching. "'He is alive, sir, is he not?' "'Yes, sir, indeed he is. He is only hurt. He is sure to do well. Mr. Farquhar is with him,' said Mr. Benson, almost unable to speak for tears. Mr. Bradshaw did not remove his eyes from Mr. Benson's face for more than a minute after his question had been answered. He seemed as though he would read his very soul, and there see if he spoke the truth. Satisfied at last, he sank slowly into his chair, and they were silent for a little space, waiting to perceive if he would wish for any further information just then. At length he put his hands slowly together in the clasped attitude of prayer, and said, Thank God! End of chapter 31